was with Will, who talked about the stove that they built that burns the smoke off. And man, those kids, I just can't handle those kids making all that racket back there. I'm kidding. I loved the kids. <laughs> so I, they came into my office, uh, Will and his dad, the other day and uh, this week, and it was a cold day and they came in, were just showing me this stove and how it just pops together real quick and told me the story, just exactly like Will explained to you and how they're going to go in February and love the church to be a part of it. I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. So tell everybody. So we did. Uh, but we were, uh, we finished our conversation about it. He said, you want to see it burn something? I was like, sure. So we went outside and Drew came down with us. So there's these four guys and the stove's about this big, like a, like a couple cereal boxes together. And so we uh, set it on the ground and they lit it real fast and it's burning. And it was the, there, there's this thing about guys and fire. <clears throat> okay. I don't know if girls do this, but I do know that guys do. When there's a fire, we stare at it. We just do. And it's a weird thing. We just look at the fire. We keep looking and, and suddenly guys are totally focused. And then it was a cold day. And so we were all scooted up around this tiny little thing. You know, it was this big. So four guys are standing around this thing, expecting to get some, some heat out of it and just staring at the fire. Like the conversation ended. You know, it's the thing that happens around the campfire. But as was said in this morning, as we we're getting to this point, this idea of heat and light that the church ought to be was just exactly that thing that people ought to look at it and go, wow, and want to get closer to it and want to receive something from it that benefits them. That's just natural. It's just natural for what it is. That's not always the case, is it? That's not always how the church is, is seen. I mean, what a dream for the church, for the church. But since it's us and we're in this room right now, what a dream that this church would be heat and light in our community and beyond. That people would look at it and just stare at it and go, that's cool. And just be stuck on that. You know, and when, they, when we look at the church, I'm not talking about looking at the walls. This is the place. The church is the believers in this room. And so, yeah, we're in this series on our, our DNA, you know, who we are. And we've talked about three of those things. This is the fourth. And the first one was that we abide in Jesus. That he is the vine and we are the branches. We live in him. And from that relationship, from knowing him, from being close to him, comes the fruit of these, these other things that we will engage in, but that is always first. And then the next thing that we talked about is that we go together. We are connected as believers and we have to fight for that community. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but there is a community I think that is possible. I believe that it's possible among believers that even if you have great relationships in this town or anywhere else, you have not scratched the surface of what it could be. If you have, I wanna hear about it. But I believe that there's something very special that God's created for the community of believers that is part of that heat and light that people see. And then uh, the, the third thing we talked about was that we pass the baton. We pass the baton. We, we are a team working together and we are handing off uh, in a practiced way, in a way that we, we are focused on the message of the gospel, the good news, training so that people can take from us and go forward. It's not all about who's here or who was here. It's about what's going to happen in the future. And we care about it. We're, we're handing off the baton. So that's part number three. And then of course today, heat and light. We're gonna focus especially on that idea of light. So Matthew 5 is really the place. I'm gonna, 
We're just going to do a thumbnail of this idea of light in the scripture, especially as a re- in regards to believers. And if you're a believer in here, I just want to encourage you, really think deeply. Let, let the words of the scripture sink into your heart. If you're not a believer, just listen, because this is what's supposed to be on the inside. This is what it's supposed to look like. So think about it that way. But Matthew 5, 14. This is from the ESV. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we're gonna break that out a little bit and look at a couple of other places, but three things that I want you to see as we walk through this. One is this, light can be obscured. And we're gonna talk about that. What does it look like when light is obscured? And we're gonna talk about light's origin, its source, where it comes from. That's the second point. And thirdly, we're gonna talk about the path that light is on, where it is going, where that charted course that light is going out through. And we're gonna talk about what that looks like. So the obscured light, the origin of light and the path that light is on. Um, So let's talk about that idea of light being obscured for a minute. Now, I wanna ask you to, I'm gonna read through this passage again, these couple of verses. And I want you to to take it apart with me just as you see the how Jesus is unfolding his argument about each of us who are believers being light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light in the house to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in he- is, who is in heaven. I really don't think we can read that enough. I could just read that and stop. But Jesus says at the beginning of that, you are a light. He doesn't say something like, well, you know, when you grow up and stop doing bad things or when you do this or there's no qualifications. And he's talking, this is early in his ministry and he's talking to er- like early, early followers. You are a light. There's, there, there's no gray area in there. You, you are a light. Uh, and he says, uh, um, he, he gives this progression. He says, you're the light of the world. And then he says, you're like a city set on a hill. That's a little more local, right? So globally, and then kind of a county-wide, I don't know. Some people can see this thing on the hill. And then in the house, you're light very, very local. There's this progression that he takes us through to describe where we are and who we are. And then he says, what you're doing though, is you're not illuminating yourselves, you're illuminating God, right? He says, your good works, these things that you do, this part of your life that is abiding in Jesus is gonna shine light on who God is. So he's unfolding this little argument, this, this description of who we are, and he's trying to get it to sink into these people. But here's the problem, and I'm gonna tell you that I don't wanna complain or berate anyone. This, what I'm gonna say goes to me uh, for sure. The problem that's pressing in on me is that people who are the light of the world, who claim to be followers of Jesus, have so obscured who he is that others outside have a completely messed up picture of Jesus. We have to deal with the indictment that the church, which is the believers over the centuries, you can start whenever you want, 
uh, and, and bring it down to ourselves has obscured the light of Jesus. Because if people read about Jesus and see the stories of Jesus, they're like, that is so cool. You know what's in between me and that? The church, the believers. The people really don't have that much of a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with Christians, with the church. Um, you've probably heard that in the scripture several times, the, the church is described as the bride of Christ. You've heard that before and that, that Jesus is like the groom. And so, uh, I don't know, you've probably, many of you have been to a lot of weddings. I have been to a lot of weddings. It's not something I ever thought I would really do uh, in my life. I never thought when I was a kid, man, I can't wait to officiate a wedding. But I've done quite a few. And, and there is this, this process that you go through in a wedding when you're a part of it time and time again. But uh, as, as, the, as the pastor, but in a traditional wedding, you're often to the side in kind of the ante room with the groomsmen. Right? And those of you guys who've been married or been a part of that, you know what I'm talking about, we're in there. And there, that is a very unique situation because the grooms are all different. Some of them are just sweating, just, oh, just gushing, you know. Others are totally excited, they can't wait. It's just the most natural thing to get married and go to the next thing. You know, I don't know what you were like, but you were somewhere in between, guys, if you got married, you were somewhere in between there. And then there's the groomsmen, and they're this hodgepodge of dudes from the history of this guy's life, Right? <laughs> Anybody from A&M here? Anybody graduate from A&M? Wow, that's strange. Okay, good. Well, this is a really local crowd. That's good to see. <laughs> but I was going to tell you, one of the strangest things I ever did was they have a thing at Texas A&M, these guys that are yell leaders. They're a very unique and strange uh, group of people that dedicate their life to their university. And these guys were all yell leaders. And it was the weirdest experience before wedding I've ever... We're not going into it since you're not A&M people. <laughs> But then this, this music changes. We all walk out. I kind of get off to the side and the groom gets in the middle and we're all waiting for this moment when the music's gonna change again, right? And there's a, the mother is usually up here, mother of the bride. And at some point the music changes and she stands up and she turns around and everyone follows what she does, right? She, and the doors open in the back and there's the bride revealed. You know, there's that beautiful moment. And this thing, and I'm always just kind of observing this, Everyone follows the mother of the bride and they look at the bride and then real quickly, they're looking back at the, at the groom, right? And you've probably done this to see, you know, is he, what's he doing? Is he tearing up? Is he passing out? You know, are they holding him up? Um, those guys who are the groomsmen, and this is true of the, the women who are with the, the bride as well, their job is to make sure that that wedding goes off like it's supposed to go off, right? They are, they are to make sure that the bride is prepared, ready and there, the women help with that, and they're gonna make sure the groom is there and that everything, and if anything goes wrong, they're gonna stop that, right? They're gonna, because they are committed to this relationship taking place. Um, imagine if one of, the groomsman jumped out and tried to put the attention on himself and said, hey, look at me. Don't I look great in this suit? And began to take away from what was happening by anything that he was doing that from the actual event. I don't know if any of you watched The Office, 
but there was a scene in the office recently where, or, or in a rerun I was watching, where Michael Scott, who is absolutely, you know, the worst boss ever, gets invited to a wedding, and he wants to be the chef. And he ruins the wedding. And, you know, you, if you watch it, you know how uncomfortable you have to be about what he does. He, ste- he makes himself a groomsman and then steps out and takes over and makes a speech. Right? He takes over this, the, the wedding, and he's not loyal to the purposes of the bride and the groom. And I think one of the things that the church has done and has to guard against, and people in the church, believers, is that we don't put the spotlight on ourselves. So that what people know in our community and our friends, what they know is more about what we're for than what we're against. Like I'm coming in, I'm saying, hey, these are the things I don't like because I'm a Christian, right? I have separated myself from these people because I don't like those things. Uh, We might complain about the shortcomings of who the groom, Jesus, invited to the wedding. Who's invited? If we're the church, it's our job. If we're the believers, we're like the groomsmen and the the, uh, bridesmaids who are there to make sure that this event happens, that the church is brought into a full relationship with, with the groom. In this last week, two times, I had conversations with people who aren't believers in our community. And both times, after a period of time of the conversation, we got to the point where I was confessing to them that I was, I, I didn't necessarily say that I was sorry, but I said, I, I am, I'm so saddened by the fact that you resist going towards Jesus because of what you've seen in people who say they follow him. I mean, two times this week, people in our community who something happened, they're describing something happened in their life. And it wasn't with Jesus, it was with other believers who prevent, who now it's preventing them from moving forward and knowing Jesus. We have to make sure that what we're about as believers is not obscuring the light, the light that is Christ, but that we are making sure that that thing happens where the, where the church is really a warm, beautiful thing that people want to look at. They want to see. They want to observe that relationship, right? Because that's why everybody's looking up and down the aisle. They want to see the relationship. If the groom was like, you know, off or the, the you know, when the bride's not there, everybody's like, oh, what happened? Right? That happens every now and then. She's not there yet. This is the thing that we're, we want to see. The, the people in the crowd want to see the relationship. God's wired us for that. So, uh, that is, I guess it's an indictment, but it's, it's definitely an indictment on me. Um, I am that person, but uh, I believe that we have a privilege if we understand that we might be obscuring the light to do something different. Uh, but let's look over at the origin of light. Where does the light come from? Uh, in the scripture, all the way through, light is a metaphor for the very best things that can be had. And you can contrast, I mean, that's something we see in literature all the way through. Darkness is disorientation. It's blackness. It's we don't know which way to go. But light, shi- light shines in and opens the door. It's hope. It, it's a metaphor for all, all of you literature majors out there. You know, it is that thing that, is, that brings hope and freedom and levity and good things. That's the idea. And it's that way in the scripture as well. Jesus says, you're the light in Matthew 5. 
But over in Acts 1, he modifies that, and he, he makes sure that we know that it, the light doesn't come from us. He is the light. He is the light. He is the source of the light. He is the thing that in the person whom it is all about. He is the, it's, we want to make sure, again, that we don't put ourselves into the spotlight of his event. He is the light. And look at, uh, at John 8. I'm going to read you two passages that are very similar. We'll put them up here. <clears throat> Jesus says this in, in, uh, in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's a, that is a gentle and special promise, is it not? That is a good thing. That is the story of the gospel. When you follow me, good things will follow. And he says almost the same thing again in John 12, verse 46. He says to them, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. That kind of light speaks meaningfully into our world. See, the light of Jesus attracts. It should attract if we're not preventing that in some way. Let me say this. Because you have sin and problems and you're messed up and darkness is a big part of your life, that does not disqualify you or me from being a light for Christ. I'm not talking about, hey, I messed up. So people want to know that you are a broken lamp, not that you have it all together and you're, you're tucked in and your buttons are all, you got to tie, your life is all just organized like that. And that's not what people want. They want to know that you are ridiculous. There's God. He's agreeing <laughs> with me right now. <clears throat> Keep talking, Wynn. When I was young, uh, my family, my dad used to pack us into the Mercury station wagon with a wood on the side. It was a wood sticker, but it was wood nevertheless. <laughs> and inside the station wagon, we would head off, you know, sometime in the week before Christmas, and we would drive around Dallas and go to see the houses that were beautifully lit. Some of you do this today around here, wherever, but uh, that was a great thing. And, you know, sometimes we would just grade the houses by how much coal they were burning to light that place. Because man, you know, just billions of lights just everywhere. How did they do this? You know, and there was one place we loved to go as little kids where the, uh, there was a big stuffed Santa Claus guy, you know, uh, character on the, on the steps of this huge house. And they always had this big, big basket of candy. You could run up and get a piece and we'd run down their yard. It was so great. That was the days before seatbelts, y'all. We'd be in the back just partying up, you know, driving around town. And we, you know, it was as a little kid, it was just awesome to see those lights. And you, you still love to see that, you know, even today. But one of the things I, I never forget, I will never forget about that. And even I do this today when I drive by a house, it may be lit outside. But the most special thing is when you see the lights inside the house. And maybe there's a fire and the lights are glowing out. You know, there's this warm feel and you see the family in there. You know, maybe, the, you know, just, there's just enough windows you can see what's happening there's just this warm attraction that pulls you into that place. You know, it says, I'd like to be, in, if that really is what it looks like, I'd like to be in there. And that's, that's the attraction that the church should have 
for people in our community. Because the, the light of Christ should attract, it should naturally attract people to want to see it. Our authenticity as believers is a part of drawing them into that space. The light of Jesus attracts, and he is the one who is doing the work. He is the one who is um, the source of the light. So uh, let's, let's look at this last point. Where is the light going? What's this path? What's the course that it will take? Uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus gives this narrowing focus. He starts out, he says, you're the light of the world. Well, that's a pretty big project to be the light of the world. Good luck. And then he says, you're a light on the, on the you're a city on the hill. You can't be hidden. That light shines out to all around. And that thing is, is a little bit more narrow focus. And then we go down, like I said before, into the home. There's a light that's put on a lampstand so it gives light to all who are in the house. But there's another place, and this is in Acts 1, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And he's talking to his disciples at the end of his ministry. He says, you're gonna be my witnesses. And he goes the other way. He says, in Jerusalem, so right here at home, in Judea, just a little bit outside of this, in Samaria, that's the people who were invited to the wedding that you didn't want to be there. And then to the rest of the world, going out from there. And I thought it was really cool today just to hear the story of several different people in our body who are doing some, some, some of that work to, to bring the light of Christ a little bit further beyond our borders of this, of this valley. He says, you will be my witnesses Witnesses are people who illuminate the truth about something, right? You will, you will share by who you are the truth about who I am. You will shine the light on me. And that makes sense with the last part of that passage we read in Matthew 5. It says, your good works will put light on who God is. In the next few months, I think before summer sets in, this mission team that Al was talking about will give us some direction to say, hey, this is how OB Joyful can engage in being light, not only here, but moving out and beyond our borders and outside of, of even this nation. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing uh, how they're going to lead us in that. But I was thinking about another aspect of how this church sends people out to be witnesses, to be lights all around the world. And I think about this with, we have this amazingly unique opportunity as a church to send most of our people out of here. Okay? So a lot of times you think, we think, well, how are we supposed to think about all the guests that we have? Most of you in here are, are local people for the most part. About 5% of our body is local. If you look at who all comes, okay? And who all thinks that this is their church, who really believes that this place is where they are connected in a separate place. They come here to retreat, to recover, to be taught the word, to enjoy the fellowship and the warmth of the community that we have here. And then they all go back out all over the United States, right? So all summer long and all year long, we are sending people to be lights all over the place. I'm telling you, there aren't a lot of other churches that can say, we send 95% of our people. <laughs> and we get to do that. Because if you talk to a guest here, 
Somebody comes in and says, you sit by them and they say, yeah, this church is like, I love this place. I, it's my home away from home, right? How many times have you heard that? That's what people say. They, are, they belong here. We encourage, give them retreat, fill them up, love on them and send them back out with the good things of the gospel, the, the heat of the flame of the light of Christ into the world. That's a super huge privilege that we have. And we want to capitalize on that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're working on it. It's going to be exciting because we need to understand who we are and what that means going forward and going out from here. It's a, a, a joyful thing that we can be a part of. So the three things that we looked at, this, this idea of being heat and light is that, that we, are, uh, we are people who tend to obscure the light and we need to think about it and take the indictment and, and take it personally. We need to think about who the origin of the light is and make sure we get out of the way of, of <coughs> who this thing that Jesus is trying to do between the bride and himself. And then we need to understand that path. And did you see how they go parallel together? Jesus says, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the passage in Matthew 5, he says, you're going to go from, you're, you're, he says it the other way, you're, you're globally a light and you're regionally a light and you're a light in the home. They're just saying it a different way. May we be that kind of place that is like heat and light that people want to gather around and, and look at and are pleased by what they see. Let me pray. We're going to share communion and, and finish this morning. So, God, I do pray that this body would be just that very thing, um, that we would be light like you desire. And Lord, even the part that we didn't even look at of that passage, that you call us to be salt, to even be spicy in our community to, to do good things that um, provide for your kingdom. Uh, God, we, we ask that we would be just those very things for you. In Jesus' name.